0: Good morning. You may be seated. My name is Kyle. It's my privilege to serve as the pastor here at Emmanuel Church, and uh, I get to lead us in opening up our Bibles and studying God's Word. Uh, But before we do that, I'd love for us to just uh, take an opportunity to pray. One thing... uh, you know, it's just been pressing on my mind and my heart especially is uh, there's a lot of people in our congregation who are sick right now, and so I just want to pray for them and pray over our community as well. So would you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just lift up all those uh, from our church who are sick. Lord, we know uh, a lot of people have been exposed to COVID and have other things going on medically, and Lord, that there we recognize that there's a lot of people uh, who are not able to be here uh, whether it's a this is service or the next, Lord, because of health things. And Lord, we just pray for your healing hand to be upon them. God, we thank you for uh, the wonderful thing of being able to stream our services online so people can watch from home. And Lord, we just pray that that would be uh, something that you would use to encourage and bless those people who are stuck at home sick and can't be here worshiping with us. Lord, we pray for our community as we face ongoing health crises and as we uh, face the, the turmoil that we face because of all the, the difference of how people want to see things resolved and, Lord, the tension and, and frustration that lies there. God, we just pray for your healing hand to be on our community, on our province, on our nation, on the world. We pray for especially gentle hearts for those who are people who follow you Uh, to act out of love and kindness towards others in this uh, challenging time of life. And Lord God, we pray that we would glorify you in this. Lord, as we consider these things, we are thankful that you are a God who, who speaks to us. And so now as we open up your word, God, I pray that we would really come to recognize how much you love us, how good of a God you are, how you have designed us and our world to to find rest and peace in you. And so, Lord, now as we open up your word, uh, I pray that you would just speak to us. Would we hear you? Would we uh, receive more of your presence, more of your hope, more of your peace in each and every one of our lives? And Lord, would that uh, become an overflow so that as we go out into our community this week, we would just ooze with your presence and your peace? And Lord, would that be infectious and contagious within our community and would more and more people come to know you because of what you are doing in our lives here because of your word today so lord we give over this time to you and we ask for you to move in jesus name amen now as we begin this morning you can open your bible to matthew chapter 12 but as you're turning there uh, i want to see how many people remember blue laws or Sunday laws in our country. Depending on your age, you might remember when there were certain laws in our country and in different places around the world where there were bans on doing certain activities on certain days of the week. And in particular in Canada, it was most often happening on Sunday. And these laws, which became affectionately known as Sunday Laws in Canada, were designed to encourage people to go to church and to participate in faith life. For instance, I've got a picture of uh, so the Sunday Laws of Ontario. Now, this document was created in 1911 to encourage people in Ontario to go to church because what was happening is people were starting to not necessarily participate as well as they used to be, and so they actually mandated that there were certain things you could not do on a Sunday. And you'll see that if you could read it, I know it's difficult to read because it's so small, you'll see there were categories for labor and business and games and races and sporting events. There was things that you could do uh, for advertising or for uh, participating in hobbies and recreational activities. You couldn't work on a farm on a Sunday in Ontario in the early 1900s. You couldn't fix a car, you couldn't sell liquor or newspapers, and you couldn't gamble or go fishing. These were what became known as the the Sunday laws, or these blue laws, and these rules largely have been repealed across our country in the 70s and 80s, especially in the early to mid-80s. There was this big push by a number of people to sort of get rid of these laws and they were deemed eventually to be considered unconstitutional because they put rules in place over people of different faith groups or people who had no identity of faith. And so these things became sort of things that just went by the wayside. And so we don't have them in most places in our country today, though they still exist to this day in many other places and many other countries, though it might be tied to different faith groups. The reason I bring this up is because this is something that shouldn't seem so foreign to us because it happened in our culture, but it's been happening for a really, really long time. And we're going to actually be talking today about one of the very first blue laws that took place in the Jewish tradition. We're going to be talking about an encounter that happened between Jesus and a group of religious leaders over what is called the Sabbath day, the day that the Jewish people set aside to worship God and not to work. And that's what we find here and actually it's going to go farther on. We're going to talk about it in a different capacity next week. But over about 21 verses in Matthew chapter 12, we see that there's all these interactions around the Sabbath. And what that means and how it should look and what should people who follow Jesus do on certain days and how should they understand certain things. And in today's text, what we'll see is this all really starts to flare up because a few of Jesus' followers get hungry on a Saturday as they're walking to the synagogue and they decide to pick some grain. And so if you got your Bible, join me in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. We read this, at that time, so Jesus has just finished uh, talking to a bunch of people all about what he's doing, and he goes out, because it's the Sabbath, and says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, his disciples were hungry, and so they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So Jesus answered, he said, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread. This was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, for us, a lot of this in terms of culturally, is, is, is relatively insignificant. We don't necessarily engage with a, a day of rest like the Jewish people would in first century Israel. But I think the principles as we go through this will be able to apply. The, the heart that Jesus expresses in these verses has something to say to us about how we view different spiritual practices Right now we're in this section of the Gospel of Matthew where we're starting to come to a sort of tension breaking point. There's sort of two clashing kingdoms that are at work right now. There's the Jewish identity and sense of nationalism and pride and religion. And then there's this guy Jesus and his disciples and what they're saying is the new and coming kingdom. And as Jesus goes around and he teaches and he interacts with people as he moves through these communities, there starts to become this friction that just keeps building and building. And we'll see it sort of come to a head next week where this will lead the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, to a point where they start to plot Jesus' death. And it all happens because of what begins here in Jesus' disciples picking some grain, them calling out the disciples, and then Jesus responding to them. So what, what, what really happens here? You know, some guys are walking, they're heading on their way to church, and they decide to pluck some grain out of a farmer's field. What happens here that leads the Pharisees to go to the point where eventually they're going to be calling for Jesus' death? It seems a little bit extreme, to me at least. Well, what's happening is that a new and upcoming leader is allowing things which in their mind are not right. In their mind are the things that go against all the things that God wants for and from Jesus his people. It all starts because they pluck a grain, uh, a head of grain. Now, this isn't because the disciples are stealing. This is, this is something that we could read, you know, we see that it says in verse 2, when the, the Pharisees see the disciples picking the grain, they say, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. They're stealing, right? Well, no, that's not what's happening. God has actually instituted a a set of rules for his people, and one of the rules is that they're allowed to do this. All farmers were allowed to uh, set up their crops in such a way that they could have the majority of their field, but they were supposed to leave a little path along the edge of every trail so that people who were in need could come and pluck grain so that they could eat. This is God's way of encouraging the community to take care of the poor. So what they're calling out isn't the fact that Jesus' disciples are stealing. It's the fact that they're working on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I don't see a whole lot of working happening. Some guys are walking to church, and they decide to pluck a few heads of grain. How is this work? Well, it becomes work because of the way the Jewish culture is set up, and the way that the Pharisees want to help their people follow God's commands. Now, to understand this, we have to go all the way back to the book of Exodus, and so if you want, you can keep your finger where you are, flip with me in the book of Exodus to Exodus chapter 20, where we see what God initially sets up for his people, He gives them this command for their benefit. God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to your Lord, your God. On this day you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, not your animals, not any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them, but he rested on the seventh day. So the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there is this command from God that Moses had brought down for the people of Israel from God, and it said this, God worked for six days, he took a break for the seventh. He's created a rhythm for life, and you're supposed to follow. it. So don't do any work. It goes on, though, to say this in verse 31. Or in chapter 31, in Exodus 31, verse 14, uh, Moses continues on and he says, Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you or for you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. Now, what's happened is that God has designed a rhythm for his people. He's designed a way of living that would be for their benefit, that he designed people to to need rest. And so here's a pattern of life. And because God has set up this pattern of life, he has told the people, this is what you need to do, to sustain yourself, to grow. And in fact, because it's something God has given you, you should actually do it because it honors God And it makes him happy with the way that you structure your life. And so because he set this up and because he's shown the consequence of what would happen if you don't do it, these religious leaders have decided, okay, we're going to make some boundaries. And this is what the Pharisees were notorious for. They were so concerned with what rules were in place from God that they would create boundaries around the rules to make sure no one broke the rules. Okay, seems not bad. It seems out of a good spirit that these Pharisees would come. But what happened was that the Pharisees would end up in this argument with one another about where we should draw the line. And so not only would these Pharisees create these barriers for the people, but then they would create fences for the boundaries for the rule that God had given to make sure just in case someone thought they misunderstood that they could do something, that they wouldn't accidentally do the thing that they should not do. It's confusing. (laughs) And so because it's confusing, they decided to go about creating a whole bunch of rules. You'll notice that in the passage that that we read in Exodus 20, God said you're never supposed to work on a Sabbath. But what didn't he say? He didn't say what work is. And we might be able to identify this. If you ever ask a tradesperson to do their trade at your house on a Saturday, it's like the worst thing you can ask. We were just visiting with a guy, a friend of ours who works in trades, and I asked him about doing renos around his house, and he says, I never get to the renos because I hate doing it. It's work. But we all know at the same time, somebody who's not in the trades, who is sick in the head for some reason and enjoys doing renos on Saturdays, right? We know these people. So when is doing a trade work? Is it when you're getting paid for it? Is it still work when you're doing it for enjoyment or for hobby? People didn't know. And so the Pharisees said, okay, because there's these blurry lines happening all over the place, and because we live in this agricultural work-centered society, we're going to create categories of what you can and can't do. And so they came up with 39 different categories of activities and defined everything that you could And could not do. And on those 30, out of those 39 categories, there was one category that had to do with what you could do with grain and harvesting. And it said that on the Sabbath day, you weren't allowed to reap grain and you weren't allowed to thresh grain, which was to prepare it to be consumable. Well, as Jesus' disciples walked along the field, they picked a head of grain. So they reaped. Then what they would have done is taken that head of grain and they would have rubbed it in their hand to get off the tough exterior that you could not eat. So what are they doing? They're threshing the grain and then they popped it in their mouth and began to eat. Now to us, this this seems so insignificant and like such a far reach, but in their culture where keeping the Sabbath was so important because it would mean that you deserve to be excommunicated if you broke it or possibly deserve death if they felt like you desecrated it, what the disciples did was they flirted with the very line that God had given. And so they call out Jesus' disciples now, Jesus has a response to this, as Jesus often does. Jesus looks at what his disciples are doing. He looks at these Pharisees who he's walking alongside of, and he begins to explain what the Sabbath is really all about. And he does this by giving a couple of illustrations, and then by teaching the Pharisees, by quoting some scripture, and then he explains who he is in relationship to all this. So let's read Jesus' explanation or response from verses 3 to 8. He says this, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you also read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath day and are yet innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what what these words mean, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus responds by opening up of two famous illustrations of things people do to break the Sabbath. And the first one comes from a, a, a person that these Pharisees would have held up as being one of the best people in all of Judaism, King David. Well, King David and his men at one point, and you can read about this on your own if you want, in First Samuel chapter 21, David and his men are waiting for David to become king. God has told David that you're going to be king, and there's the King Saul, who is the king at the time, who hears this, and he gets a bit of an irritability about him, and so he goes out to try to kill David. So David and his men are on the run at this point. They're on the run trying to survive and outweigh King Saul so that one day he can be the king who will honor God for the nation of Israel. But while they're on the run, they run into a problem. They run out of food. And they can't go into the city because that's where King Saul and all his men would be. And so they have to figure out where can we get the food that we need to eat. And David gets an idea. We can go to the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where the Jews were worshiping at the time. And he gets this idea that there will be food there. And that possibly they'll be able to get some pity from the priests who live there. Well, when they arrive, they go up to the priest, this guy named Abimelech. And they say, hey, do you have any food for us to eat? And Abimelech, he looks around and he recognizes that the only food to eat is this bread. And this bread is called the bread of the presence. And this bread is 12 loaves of bread which have been baked with especially fine ingredients placed on a golden table where they're to reside for the week to honor God and his provision. And Abimelech looks around and he says, there's nothing here for you to eat except for this bread. But there's a problem. This bread, after God has designed all what it's supposed to be done for the offering, is only supposed to be eaten by the prophets, or by the priests. So when David asks, he asks for what's unlawful. When Abimelech looks at what's on the table, he sees something that's unlawful for him to do. Yet when Abimelech takes the bread and gives it to David and his men, God doesn't do anything. This is kind of a a stirring the pot thing. There's been other things for which people have gone against God in the tabernacle that God has decided to excommunicate or eliminate those people from his people because they disobey his law. So Jesus sets this up and he says, do you see what's happening here? There's a different definition of what's right and wrong in my books. And then he goes on to this second thing, which is the priest's. Now, these Pharisees are very spiritually mature people. They're they're the ones who would have the most respect except for the priests in their communities. These priests would be the people who would lead the whole community in following God. Well, what's the problem with being a priest on a Sabbath day? You got to go to work. (laughs) You got to go to work. You know, a pastor on a Sunday when the Sunday laws were in effect still had to go to work. Even though no one else could work, they had to go to work because the point of the laws was so that people could go somewhere and learn more about God and grow closer to him. And so a priest got to work. And a priest didn't just have to do a little bit of work. A priest actually had to do two times as much work on a Sabbath day than they did any other day of the week. They had twice as many sacrifices they had to make. They had twice as many roles that they had to play. And so on a Sabbath day, the priest is the biggest breaker of the rules. And so Jesus points to these priests and he says, so why does God consider these people innocent? Why is it okay for a priest to break the law in the most obvious way? Of ways. Well, the reason why it's okay is because they understand the heart of God. What they're participating in is exactly what God wants from His people. What Jesus is trying to portray to the Pharisees in this moment is that the rules that He has created for His people is for their good. The rules and regulations, and the spiritual practices that God has put in place is for the benefit of the people, not for their harm. He continues on from there, then, by quoting this passage of scripture. In verse 7, we read that Jesus says this, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And this is a quote out of the book of Hosea, and in Hosea chapter 6, 6, we we read that God speaks to people and tells them that he wants them to understand his heart of mercy, and he doesn't want this random sacrifice that's just guilt-ridden and begrudging, and he wants people to engage with his heart. And that's what God's heart is. And this isn't the first time that we see this in the book of Matthew where Jesus quotes this to the Pharisees and it's not going to be the last time that we see him engage with this same sort of thing. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he is trying to reveal through these illustrations that God is merciful towards people and that God has created beneficial practices for people to be able to get what they need. The reason why David didn't get struck down by a bolt of lightning suddenly is because God looked at him, and even though he did what was wrong, God recognized that this is what was good for David. When God looked at the priests, the reason why they don't get excommunicated from the community, the reason that they don't have the Pharisees coming and breathing down their neck is because they are doing what's good. They're participating in spiritual practices. And so Jesus is trying to get to these people that God has a heart of grace and of mercy and of love towards his people. And he says, hey, Pharisees, you're missing the mark. He says it's very obvious there, right? If you had known what these words mean, then you would not have condemned the innocent. If you had known what God was trying to get at when he called people to obey him, You wouldn't go after people who are just trying to get what benefits them in a manner that aligns with what God wants. Now, it's not to say that God isn't saying, I I don't want obedience, I don't want sacrifice, but what he's saying is I want us to have the right heart as we engage with these things. Now, all the while, I imagine as Jesus is saying this to the people, that the Pharisees are probably sitting there and going, Well, who are you to say this? We made these rules. We created the 39 categories. We're making sure that the best things are happening for the people in the community. And we're just trying to make sure that your new group of leaders isn't going to come in and lead our people away from worshiping God. Their heart is good in this to a degree where they're saying, we want the best for God's people. And so they say, who are you, Jesus? To which Jesus responds in verse 8, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And this is where things start to come to head. And we're actually going to study this next week. But this is a moment in which Jesus comes in and basically says, You want to know why I can say this? Because I'm the one who created this way of living. Because I'm the one who designed the world and created it. I'm the one who took the rest I'm the one who gave you this instruction, and I'm the one who says how you are to keep it. Jesus says, my laws aren't for beating people up. They're given for their good. If you were with us last week, you might remember that this, this verses are, these verses are coming right after something profound Jesus has just done. Jesus has just gone through talking about people's different responses towards him, and what the benefit is in following him. And Jesus famously uses this illustration of, of two cattle who have a yoke that binds them. Which is this bridge that goes between them. And through the two things they pull through life together. And Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. I will give you an, a yoke that is light and not burdensome. Jesus has gone from this place where he said, I am trying to give you what is good for you, what brings you rest, what will bring you peace in life. You just need to understand and follow me. And I think this is a message that we all need to receive today. And to get us thinking that way a little bit, I want to read for you a paraphrase. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Jesus' invitation, which comes right before this engagement on the Sabbath. Peterson writes it it like this. This is how he interprets Jesus. He says, Are you tired? Worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The problem of the Pharisees is that they forgot that the purpose of coming to God was to be in his presence and find all that we need within him. Jesus has come and said all those spiritual practices, and specifically he's picking on the Sabbath, he says these are for your sake. These are to allow you to come in to ease your load. These are allowing you to break the bondage that you have over the things that control you to find freedom in me. Don't make them legalistic. Don't make them harsh. Don't think that it's your role to police them, but instead, each and every person who's feeling tired and burnt out and worn down on religion should come to me and participate in my practices, and then they will find what they need. This is why, as a church, we try to encourage all of us to take part in different spiritual disciplines. This is why we try to encourage a different pace of life and a different rhythm, One of the things we encourage everyone to do is to participate in the discipleship plan that we have here as a church, not as a tool to to guilt you or make you feel beat up by some leaders who think they know better than you. It's actually just a way of us encouraging you to receive what you need for your tired and worn out soul. On the screens behind me will come up a a list of different spiritual practices. And each one of these practices is something that we identify in Scripture as something that God has provided for us to find rest. There's all sorts of different things that are pointed to. And, And in the case of what we're talking about today, there's, of course, the Sabbath, which you'll see on the list. But there's many other different practices that we can incorporate daily or weekly, or on some period of regularity for our own benefit. And so I would encourage you, as you consider the different practices of the Christian life, to try to view them through the lens of Jesus Christ. View them as an opportunity to come him, to know him, to find rest If you're burnt out and worn down on religion and legalism and people making you feel guilty, I'm not going to tell you to do it. But I leave it here for you to consider what Jesus invites you into. A lot of us, though, if we've been Christians for a long time, we might be really good at one or two of these things. I would encourage you to try a different one. For me, the big one has been actually trying to participate in the Sabbath. The Sabbath is just taking a 24-hour period of time in which we try to worship God and enjoy the things that he has provided. And this is something that I have been sort of exploring and trying to be more uh, deliberate in over the last year and a half. And I'm not going to tell you it's been easy. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that I have done perfectly because I have gone far from it. But what I can tell you is of the benefit that it creates. You know, I have a bit of a problem in that I love to work. I love my job. I love what I get to do. And so it's really easy for me to allow the, the tyranny of the urgent and the pressing matters and the joy of what I get to do in my work take over my life. I also sometimes have a problem in that I can think of myself as a little bit more of a hero than I really am. And I can take on a lot and think, oh, people need me. I need to get involved in this, that, and the other thing. And the problem is, is I've lived my life in that way, is that I have come to a place when I started exploring the Sabbath where I came to a recognition that it was just taking me out. It comes to a place where you just can't sustain the pace. Where things start to feel dry and worn out, where things start to become belabored and you just start to burn out. Your spiritual life loses vitality, your family life loses its richness, and you can come to this place where you just think, how am I going to go another day? Well, the reason I came to that place was because I had ignored the rhythms that God had given out of his good grace. And as I have been working on and failing repeatedly, I keep learning this lesson. But I'll tell you, the amazing thing is that whenever I am diligent in taking part in having an intentional Sabbath, a day where I don't do the work of the church, where I don't do the work of the errands and chores of life, where I just try to connect with God and enjoy the things he's given me, like my family and the beautiful creation that surrounds us. When when I take a day to enjoy good food and rest and those are the days where suddenly my spirit's changed suddenly I have an increased sensitivity to who God is and what he's doing in the world suddenly I have a, a renewed sense of joy and hope in the things that I do suddenly family life gets better work life gets better all of these things grow it's almost as if this is what God designed me to do. I have to remind myself. The participation in a new way of living with the person of Jesus isn't so that you will feel guilty or beat down. It's not to tie you to something that's meant to make you feel a slave. Jesus has simply come. He said, Here's some practices that I think would be good for your burnt out and weary soul and in doing them you will find me and you will find rest let's pray heavenly father we thank you for today we thank you for the hope that we can find in you we can we thank you for the fact that you love us so much that you would create rhythms and patterns and practices for our life god i thank you that you care enough to 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 strengthen out the pharisees and by extension us to knowing that it's about grace not legalism and how we should approach these different things god i thank you that you have created even a way for us to come to know it you and your presence Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross, that you died for our sins so that we could have this new life in you if we choose to follow in your way. God, I pray for everyone here who feels burnt out, anxious, and heavy burdened. God, I pray that everyone would find something. Holy Spirit, would you drill into them the next thing that they need to practice in their life to find rest in you. God, I pray that we would be a people with a different rhythm of life that would just exude peace and hope and joy. And Lord God, as we go into our community, would that difference and the way that we live become contagious and would it draw people into knowing who you are and coming into relationship with you. Lord, now as we turn to to song, we sing about, about how great you are, We want to remind ourselves and one another about the fact that we have a God who loves us. And so, Lord God, as we sing these next couple songs, would you enjoy us glorifying you, but would we also be built up by those who are singing around us? We give this time over to you, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.